Amen. Good morning, Grace Hill. Happy New Year. It's good to see all of you. I really missed you over the last two weeks. You know, every year we um, always take the Sunday after Christmas off, and uh, we don't gather, and it's a time of rest for our staff and for our volunteers, and that's always really good and restorative, and so uh, it's a tradition we we love as a staff team. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, but uh, I always just come back the first Sunday of January and go, man, it's been two weeks and I really missed you. So, so glad to see you. So glad that we didn't get snow yesterday to cancel uh, this morning uh, as well. Hey, before I jump into uh, the Word of God this morning, um, I have a really exciting update to give you guys. As you know, uh, over the month of December, uh, we were uh, asking you uh, to be thinking about your year-end giving and specifically to direct that, if you were to do that, uh, towards our Roots Initiative. This is something we started last year as a way for our church to begin to prepare ourselves to acquire our own facility. We've been meeting in Fairfax County Public Schools for almost seven years now, and just want and praying and asking God to provide us a worship facility of our own, not just to be able to worship together on Sundays, but also to be able to base ministry and mission out of. And so last year, we were able to put $150,000 into that fund, which was so encouraging. And this year, our desire, our goal, the, the thing that we prayed about was, God, could we double that? Could we put another hundred and fifty? dollars uh, into that fund and get that fund to $300,000, which would give us um, some resources to work with as we pursue a few different opportunities when it comes to getting a facility here in 2024. And so uh, God was so kind. Uh, first of all, we had a generous donor step up who said, hey, uh, I'll offer a matching gift. So if uh, uh, I'll put in $50,000 if the church can put in $100,000, a two-for-one matching gift. And that was so great to see that. And so then the goal became, okay, $100,000. Could we raise $100,000 uh, over year-end giving? And so just wanted to give you an update. Uh, as of now, I think, you know, we're still accounting for stuff. Still, stuff still trickles in the first week of January and all of that. But our Roots Fund, as of right now, is at... $317,000. And uh, just honestly, just really blown away. You know, the, the role that I play here, I don't really get to see all of the giving data, so I'm, I get to see kind of the final numbers as they come in. And uh, it's just every single year I feel like the Lord provides through you and your generosity and your obedience to him. And so just so grateful. We're humbled uh, by your generosity and what you believe in when it comes to this church. And we're just excited to see what the Lord's going to do. So keep praying. Uh, we, we do have a couple of opportunities, things, uh, properties that we're, we're looking at and just seeing, okay, is this worth pursuing? Is it, is it worth us bringing to our membership? And so church members, that's something we're always going to keep you aware of. If things get serious, you get brought into that conversation, of course. So just be praying for us as we pursue those, and we're always willing to, to ask questions, Many of you, uh, to answer questions. Many of you have pulled me aside and asked lots of questions, and we're transparent. We're not hiding anything. So uh, any questions you have, feel free to ask, and we're happy to share with you uh, things that are going on. But just ask for your continued prayers. So let me do this. Let me pray again just to thank the Lord, and then uh, we'll jump into the scriptures. 
God, we just want to praise you and thank you. We're, we're so thankful for your provision. Lord, we are humbled. Um, God, we want to be good stewards uh, of the resources that your people give and offer. Because, we, Lord, we know that this is an offering to you, that, that these gifts are given in worship of you. And so, God, I just pray that you would lead our church towards faithful stewardship, that you would lead us to the right facility to base ministry out of. And so, God, I'm just thankful, and we want to praise you and thank you that you continue to provide for us uh, as, a, as a young seven-year-old, seven-ish-year-old church. So we praise you, Lord. And God, as we open your scriptures right now, we just ask that you would minister to us. And Lord, I just want to specifically pray that if there's anyone in the room this morning that is struggling to trust you, if there's anyone in the room this morning that wonders if you're actually there, if there's anyone in the room this morning that is wondering if they should even take this stuff seriously or not, I just pray that you would very gently minister to their hearts this morning through your word. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, this morning we're going to kick off a new sermon series called What is the Bible About? It is just going to be a six-week high-level, cover-to-cover series where we're going to go through the Bible kind of big sections at a time and ask, what is the Bible all about? Because if you read the Bible, one of the things that you'll notice is that the Bible is kind of an eclectic book, all right? It's a collection, actually, of a lot of books that were written by a lot of different people in a lot of different places in a few different languages over a big span of time. And yet, at the very same time, the Bible tells a very clear story. And so sometimes there's confusion as we dig into the different uh, places of the Bible. And so we just wanted to do a high-level overview, cover to cover, and ask the question, what is the Bible about? And so if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not sure what you believe, you're still questioning or exploring things, I hope this is really helpful to you to give you some handles to hold on to as you navigate what the Bible is saying. And if it's something that you believe in, if you are a follower of Jesus, whether for just a few months or you've been for years, my prayer is that this helps orient you in the scriptures and you get an idea of what God is doing in the scripture. And so this is going to be just a high level overview over the next six weeks. And so one of the things I'm not going to talk about in this series is how we got the Bible, you know, how it was written, how it was compiled. And if that is something you're really interested in learning more about, I do want to direct you to a sermon I preached last year. So if you go to our website, the sermon section or our podcast or YouTube page, just find it. Um, Go search for Formed Part 3, that series. It was preached on February 12th of last year. And I walk through how the Bible was written, um, how, why we can trust the Bible that we have today, and how it was compiled. So I really encourage you to go listen to that if that's part of the questions that you have. Here is what I want you to walk away with this morning, though. And actually... This is what I want you to walk away with from this entire series, because this is what I think the Bible's about. This morning, my prayer is that you would walk away believing that God is good, and you can trust him even when it's hard or you don't understand. 
And I actually, if I could put a theme to Scripture, I mean, the Bible's about a lot of things. If I could put a theme to Scripture, I think that's a theme that we're going to see woven throughout every section of the Bible as we walk through it. God is good, and you can trust him. And there's going to be everything in the world that is going to encourage us not to believe that very simple statement that God is good and you can trust him. I want to start us in the very beginning. We're going to see this theme pop off the very few first pages of the Bible. So go to Genesis chapter 1, all right? If you're a Bible reading plan person for the new year, then you've read Genesis chapter 1 already. But Genesis chapter 1, we're going to start in the very beginning of Scripture. I want us to go to verse 26. Genesis 1, verse 26. As you know, if I'm trying to cover the whole Bible in six weeks, I'm going to have to be very selective on the verses that I read. All right? Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Genesis chapter 1, we read of God's creation of everything. Because God existed before we existed. And in these specific verses, we read about God's creation of us. And there's a few words that are used to describe us as humanity because this is where we're going to start. The Bible is going to start with God creating us. And who are we? What did God create us for? What is the purpose that God gave us? And so I want you to see in that very first scripture about humanity, we read about who we are and what our purpose is. First, God says that he creates us in his image. Like fundamentally, at the end of the day, that's who we are. We are image bearers of God, meaning that God created us to reflect him. Like we reflect the divine. That's what differentiates us as humanity from the rest of creation. We are image bearers of God. So we reflect God. But then he uses these words to describe our purpose. He uses words like subdue and words like dominion. And if you're like me, when you hear those words for the first time, it feels negative. Like I have a negative connotation in my head when I think of subdue or dominion, right? And the reason why I have a negative connotation is because I live, just as you do, in a broken world where oftentimes when people have power, they abuse it for their own agenda instead of use it for the service and love of others. And so when I think of subduing, I think of abusing. When I think of dominion, I think of someone being domineering over other people. But God said 
humanity, people, this is what I want. This is your purpose. You are going to bear my image. You're going to reflect me, and then I'm going to give you leadership over the creation. And I want you to work the creation. That word subdue, it, it actually means like kneading dough. I want you to work the creation. I want you to create. I want you to innovate. I want you to be fruitful and multiply. I want you to help care for the creation, right? In, in a world where there's no evil at all, to have dominion over something means to care for something. Care for creation. This is the purpose that God has given us, that we would reflect him as we live and lead and subdue and create and innovate in this world. So God gives us a purpose, and then I want you to see in Genesis 2, God gives us a boundary. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 17 Look at what God says. He says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God gave us a purpose, and then he gives us a boundary. Hey, look at the whole garden. Man, have at it. It's yours. Enjoy, live, flourish. But this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I don't want you to eat of that. I'm giving you a boundary. And it's interesting. God gives us a boundary because there are things that God does not want us to know. I mean, if you think about that, there were things that God did not want us to know. We were created to reflect him, to bear his image. We were created for goodness and for beauty and for creating and innovating and subduing on the earth. We were created to live and to flourish, but he gives us a boundary. There, there are things he does not want us to know. And the interesting thing about this is this requires trust. If God's going to be in this place where we reflect him, and yes, there are, God, there are things that God is up to, and there are things that God knows that we don't know, then that requires trust. God, I trust that you are going to use your knowledge and who you are and your purposes and all of that for my good. And so I'm good. And so I want you to just picture their reality. Go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. I'll just pop it on the screen real quick. Genesis 2, 25. This is a good summation of their reality, where it says, And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. And, and keep that up on the screen for a few minutes. This is such a great description of their reality. Um, of course, when we see that the man and his wife were naked, it's easy to, to go, okay, they were unclothed. Yes, I think that's what the text is saying. But this word in the Hebrew has so much more meaning and connotation to it than just being unclothed, all right? Uh, if you go to Genesis chapter 42, uh, this is when uh, Joseph, right, is over uh, in Egypt. And so he is over Egypt, 
and he has been sold into slavery by his brothers, and he kind of has this hard journey, but he kind of reaches to become basically the prime minister of Egypt, and there's huge famine in the land going on, and his brothers who sold him into slavery, all right, travel to Egypt to get food because of the famine in the land, and they approach their brother, and their brother recognizes it's them, but they don't recognize that that's their brother Joseph. And Joseph accuses their brothers. Genesis 42, you go read this. He goes, you have come to spy out the nakedness of the land. Right, he's using the same Hebrew word here. Because this Hebrew word, yes, it means unclothed, but in a more basic sense, it means vulnerable, open to attack. So to be naked and unashamed means that Adam and Eve, they were, they were vulnerable. They were not people who were worried about self-preservation or self-protection. They were not people who looked at each other and saw a threat. Oh, this woman, this man could hurt me. This woman, this man could abuse me, could take advantage of me. This woman, this man has an agenda that I need to be careful of. They didn't look at God and see anyone who had an agenda or anyone who had some sort of a, a threat towards them at all. They were vulnerable and completely fine with it. Okay. Because God was their protector. God was the one who cared for them. And God gave them a purpose with a boundary which required trust. But here's the interesting thing. As we continue in the narrative, what we begin to see is that Adam and Eve's trust in the Lord had not yet been challenged. You know, it's kind of like a baby. When they're born, they look to their mom and their dad to feed them, to care for them, to keep them warm, to soothe them when they're crying, right? There's just kind of this unchallenged trust to their parents until that first day when they look at you and say, no. And it's kind of chilling when they do that the first time. They're all cute until they're two, and then they say no to you, right? Because all of a sudden, things start to happen inside of them. They go, I don't know if I trust my mommy and daddy. I don't know if what they're saying is what's best for me. I don't know if I trust them to have my best interest at heart. And so what's interesting about Adam and Eve is their trust hadn't been challenged yet. Is if you go back to the text, Genesis 2.25, I want you to see something that the Hebrew is doing, right? In our Bibles, we have chapter and verses, right? You have the big numbers, the chapters, the small verses, the small numbers, the verses. And, you know, in the original Hebrew Bible, they didn't have that. It just kind of was a complete narrative put together. So put these two verses together, Genesis 2.25, and then what I have here is Genesis 3, verse 1. Just put together because that's how they appeared in the scripture. It says, now the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now the serpent, now this adversary is introduced into the narrative, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. What's interesting is this word crafty in the Hebrew is the same root word as naked. And the Hebrew writer is actually uh, doing a word play here, that if you were a Jew who knew Hebrew and you were reading your scripture, this would pop off the page to you. It doesn't happen for us like that in English, but this would pop off your page. That what the serpent 
is able to do here is exploit the vulnerability of Adam and Eve. That what the serpent is able to do here is exploit the fact that Adam and Eve's relationship with the Lord is based on trust. There are things that God did not want Adam and Eve to know. There are lots of things God's up to that he doesn't bring us in on. And our relationship with him requires trust. And the serpent knew this, and that's the very thing that he is going to challenge. The enemy's strategy was to exploit their vulnerability and the fact that they must trust God. The enemy knows that true life and joy and peace and all of these things are dependent on us trusting that God is good and trusting that God is good even when things are hard or we don't understand. The enemy knows that our peace is dependent on our trust in the Lord. And if he could put a wedge in there, if he could for just one moment introduce the idea that maybe I'm more trustworthy than God is, that it would ruin everything. That the world that was filled with beauty and the world that was filled with life and the world that was filled with uh, subduing the earth and caring for the earth and trusting the Lord and healthy relationship and no shame and all of this stuff, if he could introduce distrust in the Lord all of it would go away. So if you continue in the narrative, Genesis chapter 3. Go back one page. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you won't surely die. You, you, trust, that, you trust God when he said that? For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will know what God knows. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, this tree could make me like God. She took of it fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked. They knew they were vulnerable. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. What happens in this moment is Adam and Eve stop trusting God. And they start trusting in themselves. 
Adam and Eve say, I can't trust God to know things that I don't know. I must know. Adam and Eve said, okay, I must make decisions in my life based off my own knowledge, my own wisdom, my own understanding, not God's. I can't trust God to be leading my life. I can't trust God with the boundaries that he gives. I can't trust God with the purpose that he's assigned to me. I, I don't want to bear his image. It's better that I bear my own. And what we see the narrative give us is all of the impact of humanity ceasing to trust God. It starts immediately. First thing we get is relational strife. Adam and Eve immediately start bickering, blaming each other for what happened, blaming the serpent for what happened, going after each other. They're now ashamed. They look at each other. They got to cover up now. They look at each other. They see a threat. I got to protect. They look at God. They see a threat. I need to protect. I need to hide. The first thing we see is relational brokenness in the fall. You keep going in the narrative in Genesis. Go to Genesis chapter 6, and it talks about how now, when it comes to humanity, we only have evil intentions in our heart. We, we no longer have this desire to subdue the earth or have dominion over it in a way that is caring, in a way that reflects the image of God, but we want to do it in such a way that serves us. Go to Genesis chapter 11. I'll just read this narrative for us. Genesis chapter 11, starting in verse 1. A great summary of a world that has no trust in the Lord anymore. It says, now the whole earth, this won't be on the screen, now the whole earth had one language in the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and, and bidu, bid, bidumen, I don't even know how to say that, for mortar. I guess that's like mud and straw put together. All right, so what you immediately see, right, is technology. They're, they're subduing the earth. They're creating. They're innovating. They're advancing. It's the very thing God wanted us to do. But his desire is that we would do that as we bear his image. Verse 4, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. And so the Lord dispersed them from over the face of all the earth and left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. What did God see? God saw humanity subduing the earth, having dominion, but not to bear his image, but to bear their own image. And these are the impacts that we begin to see in the narrative of Scripture of humanity that no longer trusts in the Lord. And all of the brokenness that we experience, all of the relational strife that we experience, all of the ways that we sin against one another and sin against humanity and sin against creation 
are of a result of this moment when humanity stopped trusting in the Lord and began to trust in themselves. This is what happens, is we stopped trusting in God and we started grasping at equality with God. That is the human condition. We have stopped trusting in God and started grasping at equality with God. It's what the first pages of the Bible teach us. And you know, every time I sin, which is a lot, you can always, I can always boil that down to not trusting in God and actually just trying to be God, or at least my own God. You know, whenever I'm treating, if, whenever I treat someone poorly, maybe I have a harsh tone or I'm, trying, I'm doing something or saying something that's actually meant to hurt or to tear down, whenever that happens, because I'm guilty of that, whenever that happens, I can step back and go, huh, why am I doing that? I mean, one, I, I, I'm doing that because I, I don't trust the Lord has me, and so I feel like I need to make my own way in this world. And, and why do I keep doing that? Well, I'm doing that because I want them to do the things that I want them to do. I have expectations on them. I want them to kind of live according to my will. I, I want them to bear my image in many ways. And I get frustrated when other people don't do that, when other people don't bear my image. When other people don't live according to my expectation, when other people don't do what I want them to do, so I treat them poorly. Or whenever I'm greedy, and I look to the things of the world, and I say, man, these are things that I can use for me. And instead of subduing the earth as an image bearer of God, I abuse the earth for my own purposes. It's greed. And when we sin... We can boil this all the way down to, I don't, I don't trust in the Lord. I want to be Lord of my life. And it completely rids us of hope. It absolutely rids us of hope. Because we live our entire lives trying to find, get back to that very moment that Adam and Eve had in the garden, to be in a place, to be in a creation where there is beauty and wholeness and relational health, where I feel my purpose and I have joy and peace in this life. All the things that God gave Adam and Eve under his care and that we rebelled from, and we live our entire lives grasping at it, trying to find it, convinced that it's not found in the Lord, but it is found in the earth somewhere. That, and the only person that I can trust to get me to that place is myself and not God. It's the human condition. We have stopped trusting in God and started grasping at equality with God. God. But even in this church, God is good. Even in this, God is good, and we can trust in him even when it's hard or we don't understand. And the reason why that we can still say that God is good is because God has not given up on us. That wasn't our only chance. God hasn't given up on us having the life that he created us for. Even in Genesis chapter 3, if you go back to the text with me, 
in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, God gives us just a little glimmer of what his plan is going to be to bring about a new creation where we can live in the way that he created us for. God says in chapter 3, verse 15, he's talking to the serpent, and he says, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, Eve, and between your offspring, serpent, and her offspring. He, her offspring, shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This verse is what scholars call the first gospel. The first glimpse and prophecy that we have in Scripture of God's ultimate plan to bring redemption to the world that's been broken by us stopping our trust in him. And so what we see here is that this little prophecy, this promise, is that this offspring of Eve is going to come and crush the head of the serpent. And he's going to make all things new again. And so, yeah, I'm jumping ahead in our series, and I'm jumping ahead in our story, and we're going to get there in much more depth. But what we know is that the offspring of Eve is Jesus. And the Bible is all about the story of Jesus coming about to bring about a new creation. And so I just want to read you one scripture. I know I'm going to the end of the series. I'm going to do that every sermon. But one scripture, Philippians chapter 2. What is this offspring of Eve coming to do? Philippians chapter 2, look at this. Verse 6 and 7, I'm just going to read two quick verses. It says this, Jesus Christ, though Jesus was in the form of God, you have God himself, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of God. Of men. And what Paul is teaching us is that when Jesus comes, he is not only coming after us to rescue us and to reconcile us to God, he's doing that, but he's also coming to show us how to trust God again. Jesus Christ comes and he becomes the man that God created all of us to be. The one who would show us what it means to bear the image of God. The one who would show us what it means to live and trust in God. And yes, Jesus would also go to the cross to shed his blood to reconcile us back to God so we can start afresh with him. So that God would no longer hold our rebellion against him over our heads, but we could have a fresh start with the Lord and we could now learn what does it mean to truly trust in God? What does it mean to really bear his image and to begin to taste the kind of life that he created all of us for? That's why we always talk about following Jesus. Because to follow Jesus means to follow his example. He's the one who came. He didn't count quality with God the thing to be grasped. And he lives his life as an example for us to follow. Jesus reconciles us to God and he shows us how to trust God again. So what is the Bible about? Ben, if you guys want to come up, you can. What is the Bible about? The Bible is about God's goodness in creating us and continuing to come after us even when we don't trust him. The scripture that we're going to see unfold before us in this series is a God who is relentless at coming after us even when we don't trust him. 
A God who's relentless at coming after us even when we're sinning against him. Because this God loves us. And this God created us for a different kind of life. A life that is full of hope. A life that is full of joy and peace and purpose. He created us for that. But it requires that we trust in him. It requires that we trust that God is good even when it's hard or even when we don't understand because he's God and we are his creation. We are his children and we can trust in him. And so the good news this morning is this, that you can start afresh with God this morning. I, I don't know... I, I, kind of the makeup of the room. I know there's many of you who've been following Jesus for years. And my prayer this morning is that the encouragement is that in those moments when you have a hard time trusting in the Lord, that you would be reminded that he's good, even when it's hard, even when you don't understand, even when you read something in the Bible that you struggle with, even when circumstances are happening in your life that you don't understand why they're happening, that in those moments, you can say, this is a moment I can trust in the Lord, he's good, and I can bear his image. But for those of you who are here, and maybe you're still in that spot of, I don't know, if I believe in God, or maybe you're in one of that spots, like I've, I've kind of always said I've believed in God, but I really struggle with it. I just want you to know, you can start afresh with the Lord this morning. Because Jesus came to reconcile you to God. He came so that you could have that fresh start in the relationship where your sins are forgiven slate's wiped clean and you can taste what it means to trust in the Lord and the life that he wants for you and Jesus came to show you what that looks like Jesus came to show you what it looks like to live a life trusting the Lord and my question is why not try following Jesus why not for 2024 why not follow Jesus the world will continue to disappoint you. The world will not bring you the life and the peace and the joy and the wholeness that God wants for you. You know that. You've experienced that. And the serpent, the enemy, the adversary, is going to continue to whisper into your ear things like, did God really say that you could trust him? Wait, did God really say that you're forgiven? Did he really say that? You're, you're forgiven? You're not forgiven. Yeah, those other people over there, they're forgiven. They didn't do all the things that you did, but look at what you did. That's unforgivable. The serpent's going to whisper things in your ear that's going to every single day make you wonder, should I trust in God? Is this worth it? That's going to tempt you with the belief that I'm more trustworthy than he is. And again, just my question is, why not for this year, Maybe going, I think the serpent is the one that's lying. Because my entire lived experience in this world is one of hardship and brokenness and disappointment and regret. Maybe there is something to this reality that there is a God who wants life and joy for me. And that means boundaries. He's got some boundaries for us. 
The relationship requires trust. So I want to invite you to kind of lean into this community this year. Or lean into this community for the next six weeks as we go through this series. And explore, ask questions. What does it mean to really follow Jesus? What does it mean to really trust God? What does it mean to actually start to question myself and question the things that the enemy is whispering into my ears and start going, maybe the Lord is the one who's leading me to life. We'd love to have you be in this community to walk with you. This is not a place where it's bad to doubt. This is not a place where it's bad to ask questions. This is not a place where it's bad to read the Bible and go, oh, I have a hard time with that. Let's talk about it. No, we welcome all of that. Because following Jesus is a journey. And this is a place that we desire that it would be safe to be known. So we invite it all. Invite your baggage, everything. What would it look like for this year to really lean in, take God at his word, and try following Jesus? Let me pray. Father, there's so much in us that every single day that comes into our minds and our hearts that makes us want to question you, makes us want to trust in ourselves and not you. And Father, I just pray in this very moment, if there are people in this room who've just kind of had it with the lies and deception of the world, They want to try something different. Maybe have a fresh start. Pray in this moment that you would minister to their hearts, that your spirit would give them that first taste, that first breath of joy and peace and wholeness. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you came to forgive us of our sin and to show us what it looks like to really trust in the Lord. Help us as a church and as a community be a people that help one another follow Jesus and do what he did. I pray that you would help us to experience the life and the kind of creation that you always wanted for us. So God, as we sing this last song, just in this moment, I just pray that your spirit would be doing work in the room, people's hearts, softening them, ministering to them, caring for them, loving them. In Jesus' name, amen.